Welcome to the How to Anything podcast. My name is Nick Billock, and this podcast is all about translating my 50 or so years on this planet into stories of how to do so many things that sometimes have everything to do with each other and other times nothing at all. My goal in each episode is to tell you the how behind something sprinkled in with life experiences that have literally taken me around the globe. Thanks for tuning in. So let's get on with this episode. Welcome to episode number six of the How To Anything podcast. So just a pre-warning here before we get going. Uh, This episode is not going to be how to get into fitness, how to count your macros. I guess you could say this is a testimony podcast or an episode. It's going to be how to, if you had to put a how to something here, it would be how to not commit suicide. That might be, that might be an option for a name. Uh, That might be the name I choose here for this podcast, but I just feel very compelled and very moved this week uh, through so many different things to share my story. So if this is not something you want to hear, I would stop now and maybe come back next week. Uh, But this will be an episode that will involve um, a raw and authentic uh, storytelling of about 12 or 13 years ago, uh, about 12 years ago now, 11, 12 years ago, back in 2011, 2012. It's also going to involve very much my faith. Uh, So if that is also something you don't want to hear about, uh, I would move along um, because it's an integral part of uh, my story and why I'm still here today. So uh, with that being said, uh, I just want to take you back in time, you know, it being March now, 2023, uh, this story goes back, I would, I would date it back to late 2010, maybe even a little bit further. Uh, I, I, I was out of the Navy in 2001 and I rejoined the Navy in 2007. So I was out for six years and when I came back, I always knew that I'd be getting deployed to Afghanistan or Iraq. It was just that time. So as people were interviewed in this commissioning program, it was made very apparent. You're going to be, you're going to be deployed. Are you okay with that? Are your affairs in order? Make sure that everyone coming in knows that that is a very real thing. So uh, it came time for, for me to go. I probably got notification in late 2010 uh, for deployment in April of 2011, specifically April 10th of 2011, which is so ironic because April 10th of 2020 was my deployment date to Africa just a couple of years ago. At the very beginning of the whole COVID pandemic, um, I was deployed on the exact same date. So going back then, uh, I was going to be deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, and come home probably very late towards Thanksgiving or Christmas of 2011. And that would be my first deployment overseas into a, a war zone. Um, I'd been deployed before on onboard ships. And going back, Margie and I got married in 1992. I joined the Navy in 91. So she had been with me through multiple deployments. Um, I was on a ship in the Caribbean. I was overseas south of Iraq on an aircraft carrier. So there had been times I was out to sea for one week, two weeks, a couple of months, very different things. But this is very different. You're going into a war-torn area, not on board ship. You know, when I was on a ship, they're not, they're not issuing me body armor. 
I'm not wearing a nine millimeter on my leg everywhere I go. Uh, very different for a guy in the, in the Navy. So going back, I, I vague, not vaguely remember, I very clearly remember in late 2010, early 2011, um, laying in bed and I, I don't remember what month it was or any real specifics, but I remember saying it that I feel, I feel like we're roommates. You know, at that point we've been married, uh, so 1992, about what, 17 years at that point, roughly. And we had no real major issues. We had some bumps in the road for sure. Went through some, some counseling back in the 1999, 2000 timeframe, just before I had gotten out of the Navy uh, and moved away from Virginia beach. Uh, but at this time we now had two very young girls and raising a family here in Northeast Ohio and getting ready to deploy uh, overseas. And a lot of other things were going on too. Uh, we had just switched churches because I had not felt that the church I was at would be supportive if the unthinkable had happened to me while I was deployed. So I wanted to be in a church where I felt like my family was taken care of. So that, that switch was made uh, several months in advance of leaving. And then um, I left. So we left in a, I would, I would have told you back then, a pretty good state. You know, felt like roommates, sure, a little bit. It wasn't. We were a, we were an active, we were an active couple in, in our church. Uh, we had done all the right things, checked all the boxes. Everything seemed to be just fine. So as we go through that deployment in April of 2011, it all begins. And I remember like really wanting to get home bad, like begging to come home probably late summer going into fall when I was over there. It was definitely a tough time. Communications were pretty good. I was I had a job that I could call home whenever I wanted to. I had a desk phone where I could patch through a couple operators to be able to get home uh, and make phone calls and occasionally a video call. But back then, the connectivity wasn't so great. So it was more so um, phone calls. And I would talk to the girls and they you know, sent a lot of artwork my way. And there was a great back and forth. Uh, with, um, you know, writing and sharing and things like that. And I was writing every single day. I, I blogged every single day of my deployment anonymously uh, just to protect where my location was and protect my family. But I, I journaled every single day and actually turned that into a book, which I have right here in the living room um, at home. And then I actually journaled again in 2020. But that one back then um, it was, it was good pictures and, and sharing the every single day grind of maybe nothing happened or we lost 30 Navy SEALs that were shot down. And I was on the flight line to see all of those flag draped caskets. And it was that type of, that type of journal. So exposed to a lot of stuff, going through a lot of different things. And then fast forward, um, to my return, I remember around her birthday cause her birthday is near Halloween every year. And I was coming home and, you know, there's, there's one thing I'm not going to talk about and I'm not going to go into great detail because it's not really that necessary. I am going to tell you that I came home very, very excited because you, you dream and you envision what it's going to be like to walk back in your home and see your, your lovely wife there and your, your kids and all of that. And you have all these illusions or delusions of grandeur and what it's going to be like when you get home. 
And so you do that, you finally get into the States. Then I had to go down, down South to be processed, medical, all these different reviews. And eventually you fly home and I landed at Akron Canton airport. And there is a picture that if I can find it, it would be great to put as the, the art for this episode. But it was a picture of my youngest daughter and she was very young at the time. And she sprinted past Homeland Security. And of course they're jumping out of their seat and she's sprinting because I'm there and I'm wearing my army camouflage uniform because they put us in army uniforms and uh, jumping into my arms. And the picture is a blurry photo of me holding her um, walking past the TSA uh, security guard. So uh, get home. There was a ton of people at the airport with signs. It was it was a stereotypical welcome home at the airport banners and everything else. There was a banner in the front of the house. Uh, for a while, I had a banner in the basement that I saved for many years and it was a good homecoming. But pretty soon after that, you know, there was just quickly found out that that feeling of being a roommate, maybe before I had left had taken its toll because we didn't really enrich much when I was gone. How could you? So that time of separation, I would never say that Afghanistan caused, you know, what would happen next, uh, but it certainly created an environment for it to grow into, and, and to let the enemy get in, into our marriage, get into our home and infiltrate our, you know, our very being and our existence. And it did. And we quickly found ourselves, you could say out of love with each other, um, distant from each other. And I remember very distinctly the Sunday after I'd gotten home, we sat at church and you would think I'm home after months and I'm going to be all over my wife. There was probably a foot between us in the pew at church. We weren't even touching. And, you know, we had some really tough conversations that afternoon. And I remember very, that very distinctly this image of, of Christ's hand catching me as I was falling. Like he got me because I started to have this revelation that we may be done. This, this may be the end of the road that we may be over. I don't know if we can recover um, for, from where we are. And that set us on a path of just a lot of sleepless nights. There were so many nights I can't go to bed when there's things active in my head. Um, if things are not said, things are um, not settled with somebody, I will stay up all night long. It, I have the hardest time to, to do that. Even though it says in the Bible, you know, don't let the sun go down on your, on your wrath. That's a verse. It really has nothing to do with that. It's really, I can't just put it to bed, so to speak. I, I, I can't. I have to address it. So there were many nights when I would sit on the side of the bed and she'd be sleeping and I would just be wrestling with thoughts and just so many tough things. And, you know, I mentioned suicide uh, before I began here about, we should say how not to commit suicide. Well, that, that became a real, a real deal. I, I had a 357 Magnum and it was a beautiful gun. And I, started just thinking about my worth here. There, there is none. Uh, I, this marriage is over this life. There's no point. I'm, 
I am worthless. I, there is no reason to continue. And I can tell you even today, I got to a point where I got in my car one day. I had the gun with me. I don't know if it was loaded. I definitely had ammunition with me. And I set out to go to West Branch State Park, which is a state park here in Northeast Ohio. And I could, I could walk you to the location exactly at water's edge where I was going to go and take my life. I know exactly where it is and I was going to go. And I left that day wanting her to chase me, wanting her to just come get me and embrace me or, or what have you. And she didn't, um, you know, she was broken too. She was dealing with her own issues and, you know, that's, uh, you know, I often think, why didn't I, why didn't I go do that? And back then I think it was, it was my girls. I could not, I could not orphan them. I couldn't leave them. It felt so selfish. And I still think today that suicide is extremely selfish because of the ripple effect of what you do, especially if you are a father, I know people struggle with their demons and substance abuse and things that have been done to them uh, in their past. And there are so many unspoken things that are wretched and horrible that people fight with. I get it, but it, it's still, when you have been called to be a father, a spouse, you know, people count on you to leave them. Um, I just think it's extremely sad. And it's something that um, it's just, it's an epidemic in this country. And I, I wanted to just take a pause um, in my story to just reflect on what that epidemic looks like. Now, statistics, st statistics aren't out for 2022, but there are some statistics out for 2021. And here are just some numbers just to bring in some reality. I'm not going to talk about veterans and we hear a lot about the numbers there, but just as a, as a nation in 2021, 48,183 Americans died by suicide. It was the 11th leading cause of death in the United States. And every day, approximately 132 Americans die by suicide and which, which equates to about one suicide death every 10.9 minutes. It's the third leading cause of death for 15 to 24 year olds. And the highest rates, think about it, who, what, what demographic do you think would be the highest suicide rate? It's actually the highest suicide rate per 100,000 people in the United States are among white males. So 26.4% followed by American Indian and Alaskan native males, and then black males. So males for sure take the majority of the suicides that happen. And, and then there's also one suicide death for every estimated 25 suicide attempts. Of course, they're saying estimated because not everyone knows those attempts, of course. And then there's approximately 1.2 million annual attempts or one attempt every 26.2 seconds, which is just crazy. Uh, now in our country, interesting, some statistics about the, the, uh, the states about where the, where the highest rate, not necessarily the number of deaths, but the highest rate based on population, Wyoming, Montana, Alaska, New Mexico, Colorado, top five, crazy, right? 
I would think New York City because, but they have such mass population that they're near the bottom, actually. They're in the bottom three. District of Columbia, number 51, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Maryland, California. They're actually at the bottom from a percentage standpoint. But when it comes to pure numbers, yes, for sure. Uh, we have Texas, California leading the way there, almost identical with over 4,000 suicides. And then New York coming in right behind them, along with Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Florida has 3,300, some of the big states. But it is for sure an epidemic around our country. It is a very real deal. And that's why I wanted to talk about it, just to be authentic and not hide this. Uh, it's something that I truly uh, fought with and am here today, nothing short of a miracle. So going back into that time, and I mentioned how I felt like Christ caught me. Like I, I can, I can envision his hand catching me on the way down saying, I've got you. And after that, the recovery, cause our marriage should have been over. I mean, we shouldn't be around by what society says we should be a done deal, but here we are and we have thrived in the recent years. So this is 2023. This is what 12 years ago now. And so many of things that I think about in the past, they all are either pre 2011 or post 2011. There's so many things that existed before that and then didn't, did not exist after that. It's very interesting. Like running was a huge part of my life. My hundred milers were back in 09. Um, my Friday, Saturdays were spent with hours upon hours away from home on the trails. And then post 2011, that's when I found CrossFit in 2014. And then from 2011 to 2014, her and I, we started doing a whole lot of running together and she ran her first half marathon. So we, we shifted from focusing on ourselves to spending time and activities with each other and even doing things that maybe the other person didn't like so much. She'd tell you she hates running today even. And, but she did it and we spent a lot of time together. And then we found CrossFit 2014 and something that we do together um, every day in our garage. So the, the activities and what we do and how we enrich our lives together, both through physical fitness and travel, we try to do those things together and not individually. Now we're very different people. We have very different passions and likes and dislikes, but we find that common ground and, you know, we, we find ways to say, okay, I'll try something new and might like it, might not like it. We, we, we find a way to coexist in that, in that dynamic and still do things and do life together. So after that, moving forward, the recovery was um, long. It was stretched out. Um, I even had to go back and get a little bit of counseling in this last year um, because there were just some things I was still struggling, struggling with. Uh, I did a procedure called EMDR, which, which is purely psychological. There's no medications. There's no nothing like that whatsoever. And it was hugely successful. I found the place uh, in Fairlawn here in Northeast Ohio where uh, this EMDR procedure, uh, it's about your brain's like a filing cabinet. And this procedure was able to file some things away that were, were staying basically like pulled out of the filing cabinet and really giving me some serious struggles. So did that within the last year, but it's been a constant going back to my faith. And today I can tell you with complete certainty that I lean wholly on, on Christ and him sustaining me and 
when I struggle, I turn to him. When I, when I celebrate things, I thank him. I look to him for guidance in every major decision that we make. Um, he truly leads the way. And just last night, ironically, we were at a, a meeting with our, our church group, and we are currently studying in the book of Philippians. And in Philippians, Paul is the author. And for those of you who don't know much about the Bible or Paul, Paul was in jail in house arrest. And this was a time he was in house arrest. He was, he wrote a lot of the books of the New Testament. And in this portion, he is talking about, uh, it's very common. There's a common verse that you may have heard before. And I'll read just a a little bit of it, uh, but I thought of suicide. And actually that's what got me to choose this topic this week, because during this he's in, he's incarcerated essentially. And he's saying, I am very happy to join you in heaven, Lord. You know, I'm good to go, but you obviously have a purpose for me here. So he says this in Philippians 1 and starting just before uh, verse 19, he says, Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, For that is far better than get this. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So he is writing to followers of Jesus while he's incarcerated, and he is under lock and key, yet he is finding a way to say, I have a purpose here. So when I find hard times, when I find times that, that I may lay in bed at night, and this is the truth, there have been many, many nights that I've laid in bed and prayed, Lord, please do not let me wake up tomorrow. That is a 100% truth. I have prayed it. Many, many times, I have not prayed that in a long time, but back in the day, in the 2011, 12, 13, 14 time frame, in those times when I was struggling with a lot, I did not want to wake up the next day. I was like, please take me home. But when I read, you know, these words of Paul, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You know, Lord, you're not done with me yet. You still are having me here for a purpose. So when things are tough, whether they're at work and family and different relationship dynamics, what whatever it happens to be, I need to glorify him the best I can while I'm still here. And when it's time to go, he'll take me home. And I have the assurance of where I'm going, which is awesome. So are we are we a a walking, talking miracle of a marriage absolutely uh, we where we were at the bottom by all accounts we should have been done but when we turned our focus 
vertical and we both focused on our relationships with Christ, we miraculously came back together and closer than ever. I remember real well, there was one day standing in the bedroom and I remember saying to her, I never thought it could be this good. I, it just blew my mind. It's, it's kind of like that I believe button that I think you've seen, I think Staples has it. You hit the button and it says, I believe, or just hit the I believe button. Like if you turn your eyes upward, it, it can be awesome. He will, he will redeem, you know, what he has brought together. You know, that covenant that you made back when, um, stick with it. So that's my story. That's a story of um, potential suicide, not doing it, but knowing what it feels like to want to do it. And a, a tool that I use even today you know, using just the word saying, you know what, you have me here for a reason. And until you call me home, I'm not going anywhere. So I would encourage you to, if you don't know him to, to find him and, and not give up. And if you happen to be struggling, you're always welcome to reach out to me, but there are hotlines. There are places you can call. Uh, you can call 988. You can actually dial that number 988. Uh, you can also text uh, the word save to 741741 um, to reach out to somebody. And you can even go to save.org. So three different ways to reach out for help. Uh, you can always reach me, of course, at nickbillockrealtor at gmail.com. And if you made it this far, I appreciate it. I appreciate you listening and hearing my story. And uh, please feel free to, to share this uh, with others that you know might be positively impacted by it. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you for joining me on today's How To Anything podcast. Please feel free to share it with friends and family. And I hope you'll join me next time. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. You can find me on Instagram at garageboxnick or via email at nickbillockrealtor at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make today great.